This is Jason Hansen, pastor of Anchor Church. Thank you for jumping onto our sermon podcast. My prayer is that as you listen to this sermon, you're encouraged in your walk with Jesus and that you live for him in all of life. Enjoy the sermon now. If you don't have a Bible, maybe you left it at home and you don't know what to do and now you're panicked, uh, it's all right. You can open your phone or whatever you got. Um, you can download the Version app on your phone. It's a free Bible app. And we're going to be using the, the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible, this morning. As I was thinking about this particular text this week, um, it was actually reminding me of um, these seasons that I go through in life sometimes where um, if, I, if I start to exercise more regularly, I remember first starting to run outside, did not like it, don't like to run, uh, not my favorite thing. I remember starting to run and feeling pretty good, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, occasionally I'd start to get, like a, like start to get cramps in my legs, you know, like I'd come home and I'd get headaches, just these symptoms of something going, what is that? Like, why am I all of a sudden not feeling good and I'm not sure what it is? And as I've studied that and looked into it, you know, as over time, uh, the more I realize that those symptoms of, you know, leg cramps and headaches are simply because I'm thirsty, it's simply because my whole body's thirsty for water. I need something. There's, there are these external signs or these symptoms that I'm looking at, and it's just thirst. My body is, is thirsty. I need, I need some water. I need something to soothe my insides so that I, I can let those things go away, so that I can soothe the cramps, the headaches, these, these external things that I'm seeing. And I also realize that's a physical reality, but that's also a spiritual reality reality. Some of you are thirsty, and you don't know why you have these external signs. You're, you're thirsty spiritually. I've gone through seasons like this as well, where I just recognize that over time, I've, I've been running my race with Jesus, but I've forgotten to drink deeply of Him. It becomes something else, and there's these external symptoms and signs. This is the same for you. Things like, I'm growing in my obedience to Him, and I read my Bible, and I'm, as I'm flipping through, I'm like, yeah, I want to obey Him, and I'm doing that, but my love for Him and my love for others stays the same. And therefore, I become, when I deal with people, I become a grumbler, I become a complainer. I become somebody who looks at people not in a loving way like Jesus does, but in a way uh, that is either like, uh, I don't like dealing with these people. Um, you know, they don't like their personalities. I'm cynical of them. I'm afraid of them, that they're going to somehow hurt me, that they're going to uh, say something about me, and I, I, so I, I distance myself. Or we go on social media and we are just jerks for Jesus. We have signs. It's a sign that you are thirsty for something. You're thirsty for Him. You need more of Him. Or, or you, you wind up being the kind of person that can't lament. You don't know what it means to just cry out to the Lord in frustration sometimes over circumstance. You're scared of that. You're scared that somehow he's going to push you away. So you don't. You just pretend everything's fine. Someone deals with, you know, 
you realize there's, there's situations in life that are hard to deal with. And instead of crying out to God for it and being honest about it and saying, Lord, why? Why is this going on? In an honest prayer like so many psalms do, we just pretend everything's fine. That's a sign that you are thirsty. Or you, you try to find your joy and your happiness in stuff. The vacations you take. The houses that you buy, the cars that you have, the jobs that you get that have more money to them, the, the possessions that you get. You try to surround yourself with stuff because somehow you're trying to find something that will make you happy other than Jesus. That is a cramp or a headache spiritually that's saying, I need something more. You're thirsty. You feel thirsty this morning? Because I guarantee you, church, you are thirsty, Christian. You're thirsty for Jesus. You don't know it. You don't know where it is. But all of us can never get enough of drinking from the well of Jesus Christ. You need him this morning. You need something this morning. And the gospel of Mark is going to be a well that we are going to drink from. And this morning is no different. This morning, actually, I want to give you a drink this morning. It's my, it's my goal today. I want to give you a drink of Jesus. And, and I want to give you a drink of Jesus, hopefully, to create in you a desire to drink more. Because it doesn't do me any good to stand up here and talk about Jesus, and then you, you drink from him on a Sunday morning for 30, 35 minutes, depending on who's preaching, 50 minutes. Sometimes that's me. I'm trying to do that today. Um, but... You know, if this is the extent of your drinking, man, you are a shriveled up soul. And you need Jesus. You need more of him. And so I, I, my goal here this morning is to give you a little taste of the goodness of Jesus. I, I want that for you. Here's my big idea today. Here's the drink I'm going to give you this morning, okay? I hope that this this gives you some desire to go forward and drink more throughout the week. Here's my, here's my uh, drink for you this morning. Jesus, the King, lived for you. It's my big idea. Now, some of you are thinking, well, that sounds like getting, you know, you, you, had, you had me like, okay, I, wanna, I want something. And it's like when you get an apple at Halloween, you know? You're like, well, I really just want what I was looking for. I was looking for something a little deeper than that. That's not quite satisfying the thirst that I have in my soul. Well, let me just say, I want you to just, just hang on to this big idea. And I'm going to answer the question, why does this matter for you, that Jesus lived for you? What does this mean? Like, why does this, why, why does this uh, become a salve to your weary soul, a drink of water, spiritual water for you? Because it is. And it, and it should. It should be the kind of thing that then that then gives you a, a taste of him in such a way that I pray would propel you forward to want to drink more as we go forward. I'm going I'm to read through this. Our, our text this morning is Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 9. I'm going to actually go ahead and read from verse 1 all the way through verse 13. Actually, this is the whole introduction is through verse 13. So, these, these verses, 9 through 13, are the second half of the introduction. I'm just going to read it all. Then we're going to uh, break it down a little bit and figure out how you can live this out. Why is this something that should cause you to feel soothed? Why should it feed your soul this morning? Let's read together. Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. 
says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way. A voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord. Make his paths straight. John came baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. John wore a camel hair garment with a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he proclaimed, One who is more powerful than I am is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the strap of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized in the Jordan by John. As soon as he came up out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. And immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were serving him. There's something about the introduction of this gospel that speaks to what the whole gospel is about. Namely, what we talked about at the very beginning, that this is the beginning of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It also talks about that there is one that came before him to prepare the way. We saw last week that was John the Baptist. He came in the spirit, essentially, of Elijah. And here he comes out. He's, he's preparing the way for him. This promised Messiah, the, the word Christ is the Messiah word. It says Jesus is the Christ. He's the Messiah, the long-promised one, the one who was long-awaited for, supposed to be coming, and everybody was waiting for him. This gospel shows the ministry of Jesus, what he did, what he said. That's the good news. It's who he is. It's, it's all he said and all he did and who he actually is. And we want to see this morning that part of what he did that should cause us to be encouraged and cause us to have hope and give us uh, a, a water, the spiritual water for our souls, is that he did live for us. There's three things in here that I want you to see uh, that he did for you. Jesus, the first one, was baptized for you. He lived for you, but he was baptized for you. Here's what I mean by that, because you might be like, no, he wasn't, because I wasn't even there. I get it. Neither was I, all right? But Jesus, on the one hand, he didn't need to be baptized. You have a you have a, a reality here that he is God. He doesn't need anybody to baptize him. He doesn't need anybody to say, okay, now it's time to start your ministry. He doesn't need, as we see here, the, the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove. You know why? Because he already had the Spirit. He's God. We don't want to deal with Trinity confusion. Sometimes that happens. If you're not you know, around the church very much, we deal with the Trinity. It's a concept we cannot understand. All right? It's one God three persons. It's not three gods. It's not, uh, you know, sometimes one God, sometimes three. They don't divide themselves. One God, three persons. We see them all here, actually, in the river. 
All three persons in the river, Jesus, the Spirit, the Father speaks, it's all here. The, all three of the, the, the persons of the Trinity are, are found here together. And so Jesus, when he became a man, when he was born, we celebrated Christmas time, he didn't leave the Spirit in heaven. It's not like he said, well, the Spirit can stay over there until the time of my ministry and then I'm going to have the Spirit come. No, that is actually not true. That's unbiblical. He always had the Spirit. He, he hid his glory. He hid his deity. He didn't leave it. He was always God, 100%. So he didn't get baptized to get the Spirit. He had the Spirit. He got baptized here in the river for you. Meaning that he got baptized because it was what he was supposed to do. He was fulfilling Scripture on the one hand. He was coming after John. John prepared the way. The, the one that was going to come. All the prophecies said this. There's going to be one that comes and prepares the way for the Lord. Makes the path straight. He's doing this. And here in the river, John is baptizing and Jesus comes in to say, I'm the one coming after you. As it is written, I will do it. As it is written in the Bible, I will do it. My words never come up void. My words will never fail. Therefore, I will get baptized in, in following John who's baptizing, but I will not baptize with water. I will baptize with the Spirit. He did that for you. He also did that for us because when he is baptized, there's a public declaration that he is the Son. This is actually a quote from Psalm 2. He is the Son, the beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased, which is from Isaiah. To, to, this is all Old Testament prophecy that's coming to life. This is who he is. And, and the Father says, this is the Son. Now, one of the things we're going to talk about in Mark, let me push pause. One of the things we're going to talk about in the Gospel of Mark is there is a theme that runs throughout the Gospel. Actually, it runs through all the Gospels, but it's very prominent in Mark, which is the Messianic secret. Jesus does not want his deity to be known. He doesn't want people to know he's the Messiah. Because it's dangerous for him. It's dangerous for the people. His time has not yet come. When he reveals himself, then things will set in motion for him to die on a cross for us. But until that time, he's trying to, you know, he'll heal people and say, hey, don't tell anybody. Keep this to yourself because, because there, there's, there's danger at foot. My time's not yet come. He's trying to hide it. Well, Mark doesn't care, all right? Because this is after the fact. Mark's just saying, this is who he is. Not only that, but there are signs all the way throughout. Can you imagine being the people there and you hear a voice from heaven? This is my son. It's a signal for us. Look, there's not to be any confusion on who Jesus is. It's not like we should say from the very outset, hmm, I wonder what Mark means. Is he God? Like, I don't, I'm confused. There's no confusion. Jesus Christ, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And if we missed it, he says, when he was baptized, he comes up out of the water. You are my beloved Son. With you, I'm well pleased. This is who he is. He was baptized in the Jordan for you. He fulfilled all the Old Testament scriptures and prophecies for you. You know why? How do you do with fulfilling Old Testament things? How do you do with reading the Bible and going, yeah, I'm just going to do it, do it all? Because if Jesus hadn't done this, 
then we couldn't trust him as the Messiah. If Jesus had decided, you know what, I'm not going to follow John. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to fulfill all these Old Testament things. I'm going to go my own way and do my own thing. We would be lost without a Savior. But he didn't. He was baptized. He did this for you perfectly. Not just that, but he, he also uh, was proven for you. He was baptized for you. He was also proven for you. This is what I mean. We see that after he was declared to be the son, with whom I am well pleased, it says immediately, which is a word Mark uses often, because Mark's trying to show, and when we read immediately, if you were to go ahead and just start reading the first few chapters, you're going to be like, man, he likes this word. Does he know? It's like a preacher or something like, maybe I do it, that you just have a word, you go, um, 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 all the time. It seems like that's what Mark's doing. Like it's a place word, you know? He doesn't know what to say, so he just writes immediately. Um, it's all the time, but he's trying to show that there is this momentum to what Jesus is doing. There's something happening all the time. And we see that immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. Jesus is being acted on. I want you to see this. Jesus is not the active participant here. He, he is one. He's passively uh, participating in this. Actually, in, in both of these verses, in 12 and 13, we see that, look, immediately the Spirit drove him, so he was driven. He was in the wilderness 40 days. He was being tempted. He was among the wild animals, and the angels were serving him. In every one of these things, Jesus isn't actively doing anything. He's just being acted upon. And the Spirit drives him into the wilderness, and it's in the wilderness that he's proven Meaning, and what I mean by that is, it says that he's tempted by Satan. A better understanding of that, because this is a positive, not a negative. It's not as though he's, oh no, he might fail me. The Spirit sends him there, into the wilderness. It says he's in the wilderness twice. The, the, the Spirit sends him there to prove himself. Because there's no danger that he's not going to. He does what the Israelites in the Exodus could not do. He goes into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. He's being tested there by Satan. He's with the wild animals who, for all intents and purposes, could have taken him out. And he's also being ministered to by angels. They're serving him, perhaps protecting him. They're, they're giving him what he needs because he's thirsty and he's hungry and he's He's being tempted, and all of this is happening. And as he's there, he walks through it, not just okay, perfect. He doesn't walk through it in a way that's like, wow, whew, man, Jesus made it. I'm so glad because for a second there, I just thought he was going down. That's not the tone. The tone is he was driven there by the Spirit into the wilderness, and he came out with flying colors, perfectly trusting, perfectly obeying, never wavering from the truth of the word, never wavering from trusting in the goodness of God, never wavering and thinking, is God for me? Where did God go? It's day 24 and I woke up again and the animals are still here. It's day 37 and why is Satan said, God, have you left me? Never once did he do that. The whole time he said, I'm trusting the Lord, I'm here, I'm walking through the wilderness and I'm obeying it perfectly. What about you? You walk through your scriptures and you, you walk through life and you say, yeah, I never doubt God. Is that you? It's not me. Man, if that's you, 
Good for you. Like, I don't know. Praise the Lord. Like, we have an, it's a miracle, you know? Like, we, somebody in here never doubts the Lord. Like, this is great. No, all of us at some point, we just, we doubt. God, where are you? Where'd you go? Like, what's going on? Or we, or we sin. You know, we, we're tempted to sin, just like Jesus was tempted here by Satan to sin, to take on other things that God had not called him to. This should remind us a little bit too of Adam and Eve who were tempted in the garden by Satan. And when, and when there was something that was brought to them that was not what God had for them, they bailed on God. And they just said, well, that sounds good. Let's go do this. Even though God says it, they doubted God's love for them. And they said, I guess this is better for me. Never once did Jesus ever waver on that. He trusted God perfectly, biblically perfect, all the way through the wilderness, and actually through the whole of the gospel, through the whole of his life, perfectly sinless. And he did that for you. He was proven for you. He did what the, the Israelites in the Exodus could not do. He did what Adam and Eve could not do. He did what every single prophet could not do. Perfectly obeyed the scriptures, perfectly trusted God. He did that for you. And you think, why? What does that mean? Well, let me get there in a second. Let me just get to the last one, and then we'll go back. He was baptized for you. He was proven for you, and he conquered the in-between for you. Here's what I mean by that. You think, what does that mean? Jesus sits throughout this whole gospel, and he does it here too, in the middle of two things. The physical world that he created with his own words. Jesus, the creator. All things we see are held together by the very word of his power. Everything was made for him and by him and through him and to him. This is who Jesus is. Every single thing. And here he sits as a, as a uh, human being. One who is made. He is existing in a world that he created. He's eating food that he made to be good for people to eat, tasting it. He's, he's hungry. He's thirsty. He's dealing with this world sickness. If we think, oh, Jesus never got sick, nonsense. He was a human. And Jesus threw up. He did. He got sick, just like you. And here he sits in, in this physical world out in the wilderness, dealing with the sun and the the hunger and the wild animals that he made that are in danger to him. He sits in this world that he's, he's got the physical world here, but then he also is aware of and dealing with the spiritual world. Satan is tempting him. The angels are ministering to him. And this is a tension throughout the whole gospel that he's, he is constantly, church, listen, constantly showing himself to have authority over all of it. There isn't one aspect, physical or spiritual, that he bows down to. There isn't one part of creation, both physical or spiritual, that has like a leg up on him. He is constantly showing himself to have authority over them. And this is just one example that he's out there among the animals. They don't touch him. He's out there. Satan can't touch him. The angels are ministering to him. Do they really need to? I don't know. In his humanity, yes. In his divinity, no. But listen, in the physical world, sickness, disease, a broken body that can't talk or speak or walk, 
death itself, as he raises people from the dead, has zero authority over him. At any given time, he just says, be healed. And guess what? It is done. There's no question about that. It's done. And and in the spiritual realm, as he deals with the spirit and, and the things of the spirit, demons, he just says, be gone. And they're gone. Not only that, but they say, can we go somewhere else? And he says, sure. Meaning that they're they have to ask permission for him to do anything. They're not a, somehow we have this weird dynamic where we think I think in the world that we live in, especially this karma world, good and bad, where we're like Satan and Jesus are on equal footing and it's just this cosmic struggle. That is absolute garbage. That's not biblical, that's not true. Cuz even Satan himself has to ask permission to do things. And so so God, Jesus here as he exists as the God-man, the one who came, is in authority over demons, Satan, sickness, death, all of it. He, he has authority over every single aspect of that. He conquers it all, and He conquers, conquers it all for you. He's the King. He proved Himself. He was baptized in fulfillment of the Scriptures. He walked out perfectly the Scriptures. He shows himself to be the King, the authority, the Creator over everything perfectly, in perfect timing. Perfect timing, healing when He wants, when when it's time, not healing at times. And we wonder sometimes in our own lives, why hasn't He healed me? Why, Why has God still allowed me in this season of my life to be going through the things I'm going through, whatever they are for you right now? Why did he allow my mom or my dad or my grandpa to die? Why did a loved one here feel sick and they never recovered? Why is it that Jesus chose at some point to, to save this person or to, I'm sorry, heal this person and not heal this person? And the answer is, I don't know, but I do know this. He could. He's good. At the time, we have to trust him in it. He, he's the God over everything. I do know this too. At one point, you're going to see him face to face and none of it's going to matter. Because in those days, when, when we enter into his presence, we, we're going to look back at our lives and say, I wanted to be healed of this. You didn't heal me, and I, and I questioned you in it, but now looking back and, and knowing what you know, thank you. Thank you, because I, 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 didn't, I didn't know what I was asking for. He knows best. He's the king of it all. He was baptized for you in fulfillment of scriptures. He, he has proven himself to prove out that he trusted God perfectly. He is the king over the, the physical world and the spiritual world, ultimately conquering sin and death for you. Because he's in between, church, because he's both God and man, he is the one capable of dying for your sins. And he did so. He lived this life for you. He did it perfectly in every single way. And the question is, why is this food for my soul? It's good. I mean, this is good stuff. But why why is this bring bring a a soothing to my thirsty soul? Why is this something that I should just revel in and be be consumed by? Here's why. And I want you to listen carefully because this is so important. Look, we we can't 
get full gospel life if we don't get this. This is a reality of the gospel. Sometimes we think the gospel is for non-Christians. The gospel is for non-Christians. It is. They hear the good news. They respond to it. Maybe you're not a Christian here. Here's the good news for you. You're living a life absent your Creator. You don't know what it means to live for Him. You've lived a life that's just been on your own. Maybe it's been a really happy life. Could have been. Like I'm not saying it means that your life's been bad, but, but you haven't trusted Him. You, you've just dealt with these own things. Well, you have a Creator who recognizes that you inside are broken. You're thirsty. You don't even know you're thirsty. you got, you got headaches, spiritual headaches, spiritual cramps. You don't know you need something more. You do, and Jesus is the water you need. He's a well of water that you need, non-Christian, if you're not a believer in Christ. And you don't know what that even feels like until you trust Him. And let me just implore you to say, you have a withered up soul. You don't even know that it's withered up until you taste the goodness of Christ. Drink of it deeply. And you do that by just saying, Jesus, you said you died for my sin, for all the stuff I did in my life. Show me what that means. Help me to see it because I want to believe. If that's true of you, ask that question. Pray. Come talk to me afterwards. I'd love to talk to you more about that. But Christian, this is also for you. Here's why. Because Jesus has a perfect performance record. In his baptism, it was a perfect performance. In his being proved out in the wilderness, it was a perfect performance. No wavering, no doubts. In his overcoming of the physical world and the spiritual world, perfect performance. Never once did he go out of step. Never once did he leave the line. He was constantly perfect in everything he did. And Christian, listen to me. When we are in Jesus, when we call ourselves Christians, we say, yes, I want to have Jesus be my Savior. From that moment on, God looks at you and your performance. We ask the question, how about you in these? Well, it's like me. I'm like, I'm failing all over the place. Sin still hits me all the time. I'm still doubting God. I, I don't do this perfectly. But listen, in Jesus, the, the way that we trust in him, God views your performance not as your perform, performance. God views your performance as the performance of Jesus Christ. You, you have a perfect performance record in the eyes of God as if you had never sinned, not just that, but if you had always obeyed. God sees your performance as the performance of Jesus. His life and all the perfect things that he did in his life have been given now to you. Your sin, all of the wrong that you do, all of the doubting and the things that you don't do were put on Jesus at the cross and they stayed there. They didn't come off the cross with him. They were nailed to the cross, Colossians tells us. Every part of it, every part of sin, the old sin that you committed when you were 10, 11, 12, if you're in your 30s now, whatever age you are, sins of the past, the sins you committed this morning, the anger with your spouse, with your siblings, with your children, the cheating on the test you did this past week, cheating at your job you did this past week, whatever it is, all the current ones and the ones you are going to do, God does not hold those against you. He actually sees you as if you've always been obedient because you have Jesus Christ as your Savior. This means 
that you should ask the question, why do I feel guilty right now? There's no condemnation for you. There's no guilt for you. You are perfectly seen by God as obedient in Christ. I love how Jerry Bridges, he's, a, he's an author. I love how he says it. He says it this way. To be justified, it's a word to be made, like be made right with God. To be justified means more than to be Lost myself. There we go. Not guilty. It actually means to be declared righteous, meaning perf- being perfect, being right with God. It means God has imputed or charged the guilt of our sin to, to his son, Jesus Christ, and has imputed or credited Christ's righteousness to us. What that means is this. Your sin was given to Jesus. His perfect performance was given to you. And church, like if this isn't, if this isn't water for your thirsty soul, I don't know how else to help you. Because when you live your life in sin, and you will sin, the temptation for us to think is, I can't come to God. I don't know what to do. We shrink back from him. When God's saying, why? I see you like Jesus. You're perfect. Just like you never sinned. Just like you constantly obeyed. When he looks at you, he looks at you as the one who always, in every single way, fulfilled everything the Bible says when it went about you as a perfect person, as a Christian, as godly. That's you, Christian. When he looks at it as if you've never stepped wrong in terms of being tempted. You're no longer seen as the Adam and Eve of the Bible. You're seen as the Jesus of the Bible in God's eyes. And when we think about and we're fearful of things like death, oh no, never fear. Because death is simply a doorway to life for you. And church, that is good news. Look, we, we, can't, we can't understand Jesus in the gospel unless you understand that all we read about in Mark, when we ask the question, who then is this? All we read about in Mark is the perfect performance of the Savior who died for you and whose perfect performance is given to you. Jesus the King lived for you. May it be water to your souls. And look, may it also be something where you say, I didn't know it. Maybe you just, maybe you didn't know that. I say, well, that is the tip of the iceberg on the goodness of the gospel. Man, if that's news to you, if you didn't know that, maybe some of you are going, that doesn't sound right. You're in the right spot. Because it doesn't sound right. That's what makes it good news. This makes the joy of it good news, church. Let me give you two ways that we can live this out, and then we're going to be done. First is this, simply drink of the fountain of Jesus. Drink, 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 drink of the fountain of Jesus. If you think that once a week on a Sunday morning is enough for your soul, dead wrong. Yeah, you're going to go to heaven, it's fine, but man, you are missing the joy of knowing Christ. (laughs) And you're missing the joy of not living a life where you constantly feel like, am I a Christian? I don't think so. I think I lost my salvation. I don't don't know. Like, this is a bad week for me. I feel like I'm distant from God. I don't know. Listen, you're not. Christian, you're not. Know him. Pour into him. I gave you books last week. You can ask me for more. I'll give them to you again. Um, There's a lot of resources out there in terms of finding the goodness of, of Jesus in the gospel. 
Go, if you don't like to read, get an audiobook. If you don't like an audiobook, go find the Gospel Project. It's on YouTube, you know, like it's, you can just watch it. Um, it's 15 minutes, you know. There, there's plenty of things to do, but begin. Don't despair if you think, well, I'm X what amount of age, however you are, and I didn't know this, and so therefore I guess it's just too late for me to start. No, it's not. You know why? Because I'm going to be, to my dying breath, trying to figure it out. We're never going to exhaust him. Ever. You'll never exhaust him. Press into who he is. Drink of the fountain of Jesus. He is water for your souls. He's water for your soul, church. We want to be purposely biblical and just walk it out and say, let me know him and the power of his resurrection and the joy that he is. Wide, deep, high will never exhaust him. Study it. The second thing is this. Live in groups and see Jesus together. One of our values is, is being passionately one. We, one of the ways we do that is to live in groups. We have a strategy for connection. Some of you think, um, you know, maybe you've thought this or you've said this out loud. I just don't feel like I'm connected. Well, I'm just going to here to tell you, that's not my fault. If you don't feel connected, I love you, but it's on you. Because there's diagnostics. Here's diagnostics. Three ways to feel connected at Anchor Church. It's on the screen. Gather and worship. Come on Sundays. Live in groups. Jump into a group where people are around you. You're learning together. And find a volunteer team or find joy through serving is the other way we say it. Find joy through serving. Find a place to be here and serve with people. I think if you're doing two out of three of these things, you're going to start to feel not connected. If you're doing one of the three of these things, you're probably going to really start to feel connected. And some of us are doing 0.5 of these things because we come once out of four Sundays. And I guarantee you, if that's you, you don't feel connected. But listen, there's opportunities for you to take steps to feel connected. So don't send me an email. It's your fault that I don't feel connected. Well, what are, which one of these are you not doing? And meaningfully doing. Like live in groups. We have community groups started this past week. We had 20 people in our home. It was great. We have a dinner club with those same people this week. It's going to be great. And then we get to study the Bible again the week after that. And it's going to be great. And we do that over and over again. You know why? Because I want to learn from others. I want to live in a group and see Jesus together. I want to find it. I want to know him. I want to be helped by you to know him. I want to help you to know him. Live in groups and get to know Jesus together. Look, we want to be a church that constantly highlights Jesus Christ. And one of the reasons we're going through the Gospel of Mark is to do that. So may it be so. May we find that at the end of the day. Amen? Amen. Listen, Jesus the King lived for you. May it be, may it be water for your weary soul. And may it cause you to say, let me drink a little more deeply from this. Call the band up here as we, as we pray. And if you haven't gotten your communion cup, if you're a Christian, we invite you to, to take communion with us. They're on the two back tables back here. When we get ready to sing, you can stand up and you can go back and grab those. We're going to take communion after this song. Um, Jesus the King lived for you. May you take joy in that and peace in that. All right, let me pray for us and then we'll sing some more. Lord, our confidence may it not be in our performance some of us have tried really hard 
to have a perfect performance that, that wins our way to favor with you, that earns our way, obe- obeys our way into your presence, that, that we try so hard to just measure up to what you have for us when all we need to do is say, wait, hang on, Jesus already did all that for me? And like somebody who has been given a gift finds gratefulness and joy. Lord, may we find gratefulness and joy in that so much so that our lives stop looking like the world and look more like you. Lord, do it in us. May our motivation be because of all you've done for us, we live for you. You live for us, may we live for you. There's others in here who I want to pray for who have sought to drown out their weariness, the soul thirst with things. Wealth, riches, possessions, trips, just sought to numb themselves by getting more, having more, trying to, trying to ignore the fact that the soul, their soul is crying out for you, for water. Lord, I ask that they would have a desire to do less of the things that would just numb them and that they would spend the time to drink deeply from you. Lord, in, in every situation that we're in, we need more of you. Would you give us more of you? Teach us, Lord, what it means to be uh, Christians who are, who are drinking deeply in our thirst to know you, to trust you more, to live for you, and to look like you. Do that in us, Lord, we pray and we ask in your name. Amen. And let's stand together as we sing. I really hope that you were encouraged by the sermon today. You can learn more about us at anchorchurchgilbert.com. We'd love to have you join our mailing list. You can do that on the website. If you have any questions for us about who Jesus is, please let us know through our website. I hope that you were encouraged.